If you will go to the book of Matthew while the children are dismissed, children up to fourth grade is what we'd like to have dismissed this time uh, to the back so they can get ministered to to their own level. That'd be a blessing. And you're going to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our <coughs> journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5. <coughs> a mom was talking to one of her friends about her daughter. And she said, "It's uh, my daughter's frustrating me just a little bit. She has to be bribed to be good. You have to give her something to, for her to do right and to listen. Give her $5 and she'll be good. Give her nothing and she'll be naughty. And she said, I really, I, I wish she could be more like my husband. In fact, I tell her, why can't you be more like your dad? He's good for nothing. <laughs> we all want to be good for something, don't we? You ever went to your toolbox to find a tool that is good for nothing? A few weeks ago, I was doing a little project, and I went to find the wood glue. And uh, I found the wood glue, but it was rock solid all the way through. At one time, it was good for something. Now, it was good for nothing. Today, I want to talk to you about a choice that we have in our Christian life. To be good for something or to be good for nothing. Every single one of us as Christians, really, we fall into that category to some extent. We're good for something or we're good for nothing. Let's look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. The Bible tells us, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men? I asked it as a question. It actually says, It is thenceforth good for nothing. Are you good for something or good for nothing? Father, I ask you today to help us as we look at this passage and break down what you have for us. Lord, challenge our spiritual hearts in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus had just finished, uh, and we have went through them, the Beatitudes, listing out the way that we ought to be in our Christian life. It's very evident in what Jesus has said so far uh, that it is much more about, not so much about what we do as it is what we are. That's what the Beatitudes are about. The word are here, when he says you are the salt of the earth, that tells us that he is much more concerned with what we are, and if we are right, then what we do will be right as well. And so that's what he tells us. We are the salt of the earth. Everyone's familiar with salt. We all like it, don't we? Doctors don't usually tell us, put more salt in your diet, all right? They don't have to tell us that. They often tell us to put less, but not more, because we like salt. And today, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about salt. In fact, by the time we're done, you're going to be craving potato chips because of how much we're talking about salt. We, when we as Christians implement the Beatitudes in our life, the way that we've already looked through all of them here, then we will be the salt of the earth. When we possess these characteristics, we absolutely will make a difference in the world around us. <coughs> Jesus uses salt as an object lesson. And we see a contrast. We see that we have the ability to be good for something, to have value added to the world because of our existence. 
Or we also are warned that we can end up being good for nothing. Now there's a lot of spiritual juice in this little sponge of a verse. So I want to squeeze out all that we can today, and I hope you leave challenged in a special way. Let's start, first of all, with looking at the importance of salt. The Jews, when Jesus was talking here, would not have any difficulty uh, understanding all about salt. The concentration of the salt of the Dead Sea, which was close to them, is, is, uh, would be something that they're very familiar with. And the concentration of salt in that sea is ten times higher than any other sea or lake on earth. Apart from some algae and some microorganisms, there are no fish, no life in the Dead Sea. It's turquoise blue waters, and even in its beauty, no fish or creatures can be found in those waters. In fact, it's estimated there are 37 billion, with a B, tons of salt found alone in the Dead Sea. Because of its buoyancy, no one will ever sink into the Dead Sea because of how high the salt content is. Uh, nobody has ever committed suicide by drowning themselves in the Dead Sea. It would be a bad idea to try. It was said that Vespasian, the Roman commander, heard about the fact of the Dead Sea, and to test it out, he tied a bunch of slaves by the hands and by the feet, threw them into the sea to kill them, and they didn't die. They just floated up to the top of the Dead Sea. And so uh, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what does that mean? As we examine the attributes of salt, then we begin to understand why Christians are so good for this world. And uh, I actually ought to be so good for this world, amen, if we live the way Jesus tells us to. We begin with uh, salt preserves. We understand this. Salt has been important to man as a seasoning and preserving agent since prehistoric times. The Jews prized salt as a preservative for food. In the ancient world, the uh, uh, salt was the commonest of all preservatives. It was used to ward off rot and decay. It was rubbed into meat in order to preserve it and keep it from going bad. It kept things from corrupting. The chlorine that is in salt has within it antiseptic qualities. And can I tell you, as the salt of the earth, the Christian should have antiseptic qualities in the world around him. He ought to make a difference as far as preservation goes. <coughs> Sodom and Gomorrah are great examples of this. Uh, the, the, it was a wicked city, but the destruction would have been avoided if there was only ten righteous people in that city. The righteous then would have been like salt. I believe with all my heart today that the presence of God's people in the United States who still love God and still serve God and still pray have withheld God's wrath against this nation. And it, as it continues to be more pagan and more wicked, God's people are salt. They ought to be. Our actions and attitudes ought to be salty. We should preserve our communities from rot and decay and corruption. We ought to take a stand against things such as pornography, abortion, liquor, drugs, and all those things. Uh, the, we, we can take that stand in our pulpits. We can take that stand publicly, and we can take it in the ballot box. But the most important thing we can do as God's people is to live godly, holy lives for Him. We are good for society. If you live a godly life, friend, you're good for something. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So salt preserves. Salt is also powerful. Salt is influential. It has a way of penetrating 
and infiltrating whatever it contacts. Have you ever had uh, taken a bite of some kind of food and the first thing you say, you are not a chef. You don't know the ins and outs of the finer things about cooking, but you do know one thing, this needs salt. You ever been there before? Something's missing. And then you add a little salt to it, and all of a sudden it makes everything better. Salt is very influential. Now, we as God's people have the power to be influential for Christ with the lives that we lead. We are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. We are not to be changed by the world. We ought to exist to change the world around us. And we do so by being the salt of the earth. We have positive influences. The philosophy of winning the lost by becoming like the lost is not found in your Bible. In fact, many churches today look more like nightclubs than they do churches. And their thinking is that they want to reach people and so they want to be more like the world they're trying to reach. Why in the wide world would I want to take and try to teach that God's way is better than the world, but let me act just like you to demonstrate it? Makes no sense. The world already knows they're failing. They're looking for something different. And so we are to be salt. We're not to be like the world. We're to be changers of the world. We'll win more to Christ if we uh, live like Christ and be salty. The Morton Salt Company says the biggest problem of food-grade salt is rust. And the problem in churches today, I think, is rusty, inactive Christians. I'm asking today to be salty. Uh, use your influence for Christ to point people toward Christ. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. The power of a salty Christian cannot be underestimated. Be salty. Make an impact. Salt is powerful, and so is a godly Christian uh, that has the power of the Holy Spirit on his life. If you want to demonstrate, by the way, the power of salt... Open up a bag of Lay's potato chips and eat just one. You can't do it, can you? Uh, a few years ago, <coughs> actually it was in 1963, there was a bunch of young people sitting around the table at Frito-Lay, and they were trying to come up with an ad slogan for their famous potato chips. <coughs> an elderly <coughs> copywriter named Len Holton looked around and was, was listening to different ideas, and he wrote down five words on a piece of paper. He shared it with a colleague, and in a moment of creative genius, he landed one of the most famous ad jingles of all time. Bet you can't eat just one. And we are all familiar with that, with Lay's potato chips. You ever try to eat just one? Can't do it, because you want more. You want more. In fact, now I, I saw the other day, they are putting jokes on the side of Lay's potato chips. Did you see that? They actually, you can look at the side of the bag and you can see a joke. Uh, the, the one I saw the other, the other day said, serving size, 12 chips. <laughs> That's a joke, isn't it? <laughs> Why do you desire more? Is it because you're craving for potatoes? One reason is you're craving for salt. Salt is powerful. Salt is influential. Salt is also pure. Salt is connected to purity. The Romans said that salt was the purest of all things. Jewish sacrifices, according to Leviticus 2.13, had to be offered with salt, and in turn, many pagan sacrifices also used salt. 
So for the Christian to be the salt of the earth, he must be an example of purity and speech and character. Our lives are to be like salt. They are to be pure and offered to the Lord as a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The purity of salt gives it an ability to clean other things. Elisha, Elisha cleansed the waters at Jericho with salt. First Kings, or sorry, Second Kings chapter 2. In ancient times, newborn babies were washed in salt. Ezekiel 16, 4. Salt was used to cleanse and heal wounds. <laughs> Thank God they make better things now because that's kind of painful. I don't know if you ever tried that. People with toothaches put salt in their cavities at one time to try to take away the pain. Gargling with salt water is the first thing my doctor told me to do when I went and saw him last week for my throat. Thanks a lot. Been doing that for a week. Hasn't helped a bit or didn't seem to. But he told me. I went hoping to get some miracle cure. He would hand me a couple of pills. Take these and call me in the morning. Everything will be fine. No, he said, gargle with salt water. Uh, why? Because that takes care of of, of decontam uh, contaminants and different things. Scientists tell us that the salt content in the oceans of the world is extremely important. Without the saltiness of our oceans, corruption would plague the earth with disease. And can I tell you today, without the saltiness of God's people, corruption will continue to overcome this world. We are to be salt. As the salt of the earth, our lives are to be characterized with purity. We should have a purifying effect on others. When we live this way, friend, we are good for something. And I want to be good for something, don't you? That would be a blessing. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When we compromise with sin... It hurts our influence for Christ, and it damages our testimony. Compromise will always do this. If we're not careful, we can be like the family who got fed up with the rat race in the city. They decided they would sell everything they had and move out to the country and try life in wide open spaces. So they bought a ranch, and they planned to raise cattle. And some friends came to visit sometime later and asked how things were going, and and said, by the way, what did you name your ranch? And dad said, well, I wanted to call it the Flying W. My wife wanted to call it the Susie Q. My son wanted to call it the Bar J. And my other son wanted to call it the Lazy Y. Well, what did you land on? He said, well, we have named it then. We just compromised. We call it the Flying W, Susie Q, Bar J, Lazy Y Ranch. And he looks around, well, where are all your cattle? None of them survived the branding, amen? So that's... <laughs> Sometimes compromise is not the answer. But listen, when we are the salt of the earth and we live holy lives, can I tell you, often we'll cause people to clean up their language and clean up their living and we'll have a positive influence on those around us. Be salt. Holy lives will have a holy influence on society. Andrew Murray lived such a holy life and his holiness affected most his children and his grandchildren. Because of the life that he lived, five of his six sons became preachers, four of his daughters became pastors' wives, ten grandsons became preachers, and thirteen grandchildren became missionaries. I'm telling you today, friend, salt is not only does it preserve, not only is it pure, but it is powerful. It'll make an impact. And next, then, salt is precious. Here, salt is a picture of the Christian whose conduct is described, again, by the Beatitudes. 
When we live that way, then we will be salty. Uh, Jesus says to the Christian, you are the salt of the earth. One of the things he's saying to the Christian is that you are of great value to society. The same way that salt is of great value to our society. Homer called salt divine. Plato said that salt was a substance dear to the gods. Salt is called what was called white gold in the Middle Ages. Did you ever hear the term worth your salt? <coughs> worth your salt comes from the roots of the Roman Empire when they uh, soldiers are often paid in salt. By the way, uh, if you get paid every week, it's called a salary. The word salary derives from the uh, Latin salarium, which originally, originally refers to a soldier getting salt for being paid. Salt's important. Did you know more wars have been fought in this world over salt than over gold? That's hard to believe. The Germans waged war for saline streams. Many of our Indian battles in this country were fought over the over salt licks and salt springs. One Union campaign in Virginia through the Civil War existed for the sole purpose of capturing a Confederate stronghold at Saltville and taking away their source of salt. That success shortened the war uh, by, a, by quite a bit. Salt in 1865 sold for $1 a pound. That's the equivalent today to $18.50 a pound. And I looked this week at Walmart. You can buy a one pound, 10 ounce for a buck 45. Salt's important. And salt was, has great value. Friends, the world may not see it, but Christians are of great value to this world. A world without Christians would be a nightmare. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, illustrates the truth of a world without Christians. When you act like salt in a society, you are precious to that society. What am I saying? You are good for something. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's good to be good for something. Salt is not only pure, powerful, preserving, and precious, but salt is also pleasant. Salt lends flavor and brings out the best in food. You ever got French fries at McDonald's and they forgot to salt them? Something missing, isn't it? Imagine eating uh, French fries without salt. Imagine eating popcorn without salt. Blech, I love popcorn. I eat popcorn almost daily, but it wouldn't be much good without salt. How about corn on the cob? Eat a corn on the cob with no salt. Salt is a good thing. It lends flavor. And Christianity is to life what salt is to food. We ought to lend flavor to the lives around us. The influence of godly Christians to encourage and lift others up, to bring out the best in people. <coughs> we are to live for others and be a blessing to them. Our words should strengthen people and bring healing into their lives. Just as salt melts coldness and heals the body, our lives and our words ought to help people heal spiritually and overcome a cold heart numbed by sin. Oh, be salty today. Matthew 24, 12. And because the iniquity, uh, shall, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, he says, uh, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Can I tell you, cranky, complaining, critical, cantankerous Christians will not have a good seasoning effect on the world around them. They become good for nothing. <laughs> Some Christians, sad to say, are more like onions they are than they are salt. They make people cry around them instead of adding good flavor to them. When we're not salty... We are not salty when we're a bunch of old grouches. 
People need to discover the warmth, the love, and the joy of the Christian faith. And how do they see that? When we live the Beatitudes that Jesus has been talking about. In a worried world, the Christian should be the one who remains composed. In a depressed world, the Christian should be the one that is full of joy. In a world of disharmony, the Christian should be the one who remains at peace. A Christian has no business walking around looking like they've been sucking pickle juice through a PVC pipe. And that's a lot of Christians today, isn't it? dragging, walking around with a big frown. Listen, we ought to have a smile on our face. We've got something to rejoice over. Lord Jesus Christ saved your soul. you got something to be happy about. We ought to have joy. As one person put it, joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. I like that. Joy. When you introduce the Beatitudes into your character, as we've talked about them, if you haven't heard that, maybe go back and look at it on our channel, listen to those messages, but if you put those Beatitudes and apply them to your life and live God-honoring lives, then we align our life with a heart for the harvest and we'll have much more of an impact. Salt promotes thirst. Salt creates a thirst for water. One of my dad's many sayings that I remember him saying growing up, he always said, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink but I can give him some salt and make him thirsty. Salt creates thirst. Did you know that, the, uh, that ocean water contains seven times more salt than the human body can safely ingest? You can drink ocean water and dehydrate at the same time because your kidneys demand so much more water to try to clean the salt out of them. So the more salt water someone drinks, the thirstier he gets until you can be floating on a raft on top of the ocean and die of thirst in the midst of all that water because of the salt. Preoccupation. Oh, don't miss this. Preoccupation with the world is like that. To drink and drink and drink of what the world has to offer, never quenching your thirst. And so what is the answer? We as Christians are to live our lives in such a way that we create a thirst for the Lord, not the thirst for the world around us. Our love and compassion for others ought to ignite in them a thirst for the Lord in their hearts. Hearts that are already searching for answers and searching for peace and joy, searching for the results of the Beatitudes. And we can be the salt of the world, showing them what the Lord Jesus Christ can do in your life. And in that way, we are good for something. I want to be good for something, don't you? Salt promotes thirst. Salt also gives of itself. Salt, when it is added into a food, loses itself. You don't see the salt anymore, but you sure recognize the benefits of it. Uh, the, the, it's a chemical process. It dissipates. It vanishes. But yet you know it's there. When Christians are salty, they're willing to give of themselves to God and men. It is when we give of ourselves and die to self that we do something that is remembered. It is only then that we have an impact on the lives of others. God has used Christians mightily who are willing to die to themselves and live for others. I think of the Apostle Paul. I think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Oh, what an impact he had. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can you accomplish, friend, if you give of yourself for him? What a blessing that would be. So we look at the importance of salt. We understand our role as Christians and how valuable we can be. I want to look, uh, as we close out, the impotence of salt. 
Because he doesn't stop in the value of the salt and what we can be and the effect we can have. He ends the verse with a warning. He says, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast down and to be trodden under the foot of men. <coughs> if the salt loses its savor, how will it become salty again? The weakness of salt here is noted in that in the loss of saltiness. Now, it's interesting. The words lost its savor is translated from a Greek word, moreno. We get our English word moron from this. Isn't that interesting? To act foolishly or to be foolish. That's what the word means. The direct application is talking about salt that has become dull and insipid, tasteless, flat. But applied to uh, human behavior, uh, we apply it as playing the fool or being foolish. The same word is translated in Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became morons, fools, the Bible says. And so when we behave or live foolishly, we lose our influence on those around us. We no longer are salty anymore. We lose that, that whole, the whole point of living godly, the whole point of putting the Beatitudes in our life so that we can have an impact. We lose that. <coughs> and this is a tragedy. Because when Christians don't care about their testimony or they don't concern, aren't concerned about God's will or they aren't concerned about lost souls, then the thing with this kind of attitude, they become good for nothing. <coughs> and I don't want to be good for nothing. So, very quickly, what causes us to lose our savor? What is in your life, possibly, that causes you to lose your saltiness? Let's look at a few. Discontent, anger, or bitterness can damage your effectiveness. When you're angry or bitter, you'll have difficulty focusing on God's will for your life. Instead, our focus will be on the person we're angry with, or the person we're upset at. We can become consumed with hate and bitterness. And I guarantee you, friend, it'll not only poison your life, it'll poison the lives of those around you. Others will be turned off. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fall from the grace of God, lest the root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You won't only hurt yourself, you'll lose your saltiness. You won't, uh, others will be affected negatively. Is bitterness causing you to lose your savor? And then disobedience to God's word can rob you of your savor. Disobeying, disobeying God leads to defeat and a loss of spiritual power. How can we get people to follow a God we're not following ourselves? We're so determined to get our own way that we ignore God, we become fools, we lose our savor. Jeremiah 5.23, but this people uh, hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. What a sad thing to say about anyone. Have you lost your savor? And then materialism can hurt your savor. Oh my, but this is such a problem for us today as Christians. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And how true that is. Uh, when a person loves earthly things so much, when he can't get along without stuff, he opens himself up to much temptation and suffering. His choices and decisions become destructive to the cause of Christ. Bertrand Russell said, It is the preoccupation with possessions more than anything else that presents us from living nobly. Paul warned us about a relationship with money and things when he said in 1 Timothy 6, 9, But they that will be rich 
will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And again, I say, if, if you are drowning, friend, how are you going to rescue anyone else? You're not. You'll lose your saltiness. Number four, losing your first love for Christ will hurt your savor. When we spiritually cool off in our dedication for Christ, we're going to lose our savor. We won't have the same priorities anymore when we don't pray, when we don't read our Bible, when we don't witness. We lose our savor, our effectiveness for Christ. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus. Revelation 2.4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love, once on fire for God. Now this church was... Uh, they were cooled down. They had become distracted. They lost sight of what was most important, their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we become apathetic or our relation, in our relationship with Christ, when we become easily distracted, we'll become less concerned with what God thinks, we'll become less concerned with the harvest, we'll become more focused on self, and the end result will be we'll be good for nothing. We're not salty anymore. We'll lose our savor. <clears throat> and then number five, sinful living will destroy your savor. The world expects us, Christians, to live like Christians. Someone said years ago, if you want to know how a Christian should act, ask someone who's not saved. They'll tell you. It's usually Christians that try to get away with things. But uh, People know how a Christian should act. Uh, Romans 14, 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Again, this has so much to do with the heart for the harvest. If You will not be concerned about your testimony if you're not trying to win someone to Christ. Being faithful to the Lord will not matter that much if you don't have a heart for the harvest. But if you want to be salt, if you really want to reach people for Christ and you want to make a difference in the world around you, then you're going to ask yourself, how can I be salty? What can I do to be better salt for the Lord Jesus Christ? And really the answer is living the Beatitudes. If God doesn't change you, how can He change them? And then number six, a spirit of pride will rob you of your savor. When we get proud, we turn people off. Do you like proud people? You ever get around somebody that's completely obsessed with themselves? Yes, uh, talking about me, and then we talk about me, and I, and then me, and then a little bit more of me, and then there's me. Love those conversations, don't you? It gets tiring. And uh, nobody likes to be around somebody who's proud. Our pride makes us do, uh, causes us to make foolish choices and destroy our effectiveness. Solomon, he had a lot to be proud about. The richest man that ever lived, the wisest man that ever lived, but he warned us about pride and its destructiveness. He said in Proverbs 11, 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In 13, 10, he said, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. In 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Hey, today we have all kinds of messages flying at us all the time. Appetite says be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says be resourceful, Expand yourself. Materialism says be satisfied. Please yourself. Humanism says be capable. Believe in yourself. Pride says be superior. Promote yourself. God says be wise. Humble yourself. You want to be good for something? Be humble. Be humble. Oh, it'll make an impact. And then lastly, doubt and discouragement will squander our savor. Discouragement 
and doubt rob us of our enthusiasm for the Lord. They cause us to give up and not live by faith. And when this happens, we're not as effective for Christ. We don't want to have anything to do uh, with God's will in our life. We lack the conviction and trust uh, in the Lord and His Word, and so we keep quiet. So we're not promoting uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll not share with others what we won't believe ourselves. Can I say that again? You won't share with others what you don't believe yourself. <coughs> Thus our salt loses its savor. God's challenge to us is to trust Him, to trust His Word, and to live by faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding, for in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. If salt loses its effectiveness, it is good for nothing. It's useless. It's without value. And I don't want to end up there, and I hope you don't either. The Bible says, or Jesus said, it is thenceforth good for nothing. Luke 14.35 goes a step further, adds this failure to Saul. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. <laughs> he said, this salt is so worthless, it's not even worthy of going to the dunghill. Oh, friend, we don't want to lose our saltiness. When salt loses its saltiness, it loses its value, it's useless. When a believer falls in sin, he risks losing his testimony completely. And a Christian cannot lose his soul. But, oh, friend, he can certainly lose his savor. And we don't want to lose our savor. When he loses his savor, he becomes good for nothing. Matter of fact, it's worse than that. He, he isn't only good for nothing, he becomes a problem. Uh, he will become a liability rather than an asset. He'll lose his value for service. He'll no longer have a ministry for God. And again, you, can you can't lose your soul, but you can lose your savor. We don't want to lose our savor. Dennis Kinlaw was a former president of Asbury College, and he tells about growing up during the Depression. It was Dennis's job as a young boy to rub salt into the meat that his father got from hunting. So his father would hunt and butcher, and then he would go out and rub salt into the meat. One day, company came, and Dennis's mother sent him out to get some pork from the storehouse. Dennis ran out, got a big piece of pork, took it in and brought it in into the kitchen, laid it on the cutting board. <coughs> he was just about to step away when he heard his mother yell his name, and she was not glaring at him, she was glaring at the meat. He looked and noticed something unusual. For the first time in his life, he saw meat move. It's never a good thing when meat moves. Stepping closer, he saw maggots pouring out of the slice his mother made into the pork. All his mom said was, not enough salt, Dennis, not enough salt. Now, it's easy to blame today Hollyweird, liberal schools, the government for the decay of our culture. But friends, maybe, just maybe, the real problem is not enough salt. Not enough salt. The maggots of sin are invading every crevice of our society because there's not enough salt. Oh, the decay of our culture, which is the most natural thing for the natural man that's happening in our world, is because of there's not enough salt. I ask you today, will you be that salt? Will you be a salty Christian? Because that's what this world needs. We don't need a return to morality, although that would be good. We need Christians that will be salt of the world. Jesus said, hey, I'll give you a whole list of ways. You apply these things to your life, and then what's going to happen is you're going to make a difference in the world. You're going to be salt. You're going to make an impact. Oh, I hope today your desire is to be a salty Christian. Will you be good for something? Be good for something. Be salty.
Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <coughs> the challenge is very clear today, friend. We have a step-by-step -step instruction by Jesus how we become salt. And then he tells us to be the salt of the world, to make an impact. Who can you think of right now that you have impacted positively for the cause of Christ? Maybe you're thinking, I, don't, I can't think of anybody right now. Maybe, friend, you need to get a little bit more salty and have an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to have you stand as she begins to play. And if the Lord spoke to your heart today and you say, you know, 